podcasting from New York. They say, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries, where discussion and thoughts about simple and complex social interactions happen. My name is Sharif Rucker, an urban educator. Please join me as your host in having interesting conversations. Welcome to episode four, Blended Families. I'm going to start with a article from the Huffington Post. Uh, www.huffpost.com The Ugly Truth About Blended Families by Kate Chapman Quotes How children feel about step families step parents themselves is a catch-22 of overwhelming proportion Loving them presents loyalty issues with one parent Hating them loyalty issues with the other The child is trapped in a loyalty bind at seemingly every turn Every day or in our lifetime we've seen several sitcoms about blended families I'm going to just mention a list here. We have The Full House. We have The Modern Family. We have Drake and Josh. We have The Brady Bunch. We have The Fosters. We have Sister Sister. Step by Step. Different Strokes. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Dog with a Blog. So we know that The Brady Bunch is not a reality. That is not real. What's real is that when you, when you have multiple individuals walking at the threshold, crossing the threshold of that front door, coming into the house with their own baggage and their own concerns and their own issues, and then you have the leadership of the household who are the functional parents in that, inside of that home and how they're receiving those different members and their personalities and the issues that they bring to the table. And then how they negotiate that through their different and varying values in that household. That's complicated. So in a perfect world, you know, when we talk about having kids and, we, you know, we, we, way before having kids, you know, in our early lives, and, and, you know, we have these ideals in terms of what kind of kid we want to have, uh, what, they, what, what we want them to be and what we want to, them to accomplish. And then when you have children, you realize how much you don't control. You know, you, you, you foster many of the values and you, and you put in the skills and you build the skills and you, through the events and activities that you place around them and the standards you have in your household and the expectations. But then they take that collage of supports and they themselves have to put it together in a puzzle that fits their life and works for them. And sometimes that happens maybe, you know, early in their lives. And sometimes that happens later on in their lives. And so we don't control those identities and personalities of our children, whether it's in a nuclear family or a step family. Everyone has goals. They have goals for their children. They have goals for themselves. These goals are sometimes independent or interdependent of others but these goals are going to be the driving force of the success of blended families. Can these goals be connected to one another? Do they have a self-reliance factor to them? Or is it, there's a connection between all stakeholders in the household? And then how do we translate a self-centered goal that's driven around a single parent with their children to goal that is uh, universal that all can benefit from. We talked about the inclusivity, right? And where that plays in this. So how do we get those goals? How do we begin to evolve those goals, right? How do we shift those goals? How do we open those goals? How do we adjust them so that there's more transparency around the goal, that there's a shared purpose in reaching those goals, and that there's there's buy-in to the goal, that we all believe that this is something that's important to this household. Having those conversations is important. So what, this is where the sitcoms, they do well, because one of the things that they always um, display on the sitcoms is that they have these, there's always these conversations happening between 
the stepmom and and the the biological children and the children that are not biological group together you know all of the the extraneous factors even sometimes you know well they're all sitting together and they're having a conversation about this is the rule of the household this is how we want to live and this is the goal that we have for you guys is that what, what don't we understand and then having an open conversation and trying to get some norming happening with that and, and so it's so important to have those those meet and greets or those meetings of the minds in, in a uh a blended family so that everybody can get on the same page because then there's those perceptions that are just not right sometimes. They are very much in tune with the expectations long-term that they have for their children. These goals, they're discussing, they're evolving in this process. And they're getting to this place where they find this chemistry and that work. So that's, that's what's real for the first new first family. But then there's the second family, the blended family. And then there's the reality of that. The reality is that the blended family can compare to no, to none of the first families, to no definition of a first family. A blended family is a lot more fluid because now you take two first families with ideas, two different ideas, and then you try to bring, bring them together. But the problem with this is that they're not starting from scratch. They're starting with the history, with the history that they've been both comfortable in and you have these two adults who, find, who found some connection with each other as adults. They're not standing alone in the choices they make anymore. Now they're standing with a tribe of individuals who share their value, who share in their, in their journey to success or, or to the conclusion that they've shared. They have input into what they think should happen in a family, whether this be one child, two children, an ex-spouse, they have a working definition of their nuclear family. There's an expectation there. There's a belief system there. And when people walk into a blended family, they believe that this will continue or be extended. But then what happens when you have a Orthodox Jewish father who marries a Hindu woman with children? There are some serious nuances here that are going to complicate the process going forward. This speaks to holidays, the celebration of holidays, traditions in the household, how we communicate, how we pray or celebrate religion or engage religion. What's the value of education versus evolution of, of human development? Where does that play out in a negotiation in the household when we have children who are 6, 10, 12, 14, have lived a lifespan of a belief system and now are being asked to engage and risk, take risk in a new system because their parent is leading them into this new venture. So we're asking them to trust, we're asking them to take risk. We're asking a lot of them. In this reality, we have the mother, the father. In the household we have, so in a nuclear household, the first family you have mother, father. But in this case, now we have the mother, stepfather, or we have the father, stepmother. And then we externally we have the ex-spouse, the mother or the father that's outside of now this blended family. And then we have the children with their various beliefs and buy-ins to where they come from, all mixed together like mashed potatoes. Now, how do we get the flavor we want out of these mashed potatoes with so many different individuals with different needs and demands? Because the ones that are so far satisfied in this relationship are the mother and the father, the ones who are engaged in this path who we then become either mother, a stepmother, a father, a stepfather. 
but they're easing his passes, not without the others on a journey with them. What happens when it works? We get a blended family. We're all in the same household. But based on our former economics, based on our former education, things begin to show themselves in our children. And so our children begin to take different courses, right? Based on whatever influences they come from, from their original nuclear family to now this blended family, they begin to go through challenges. And those challenges begin to weigh on the confidence in the parents or the relationship confidence in the parents in that relationship. I call this parental competition because everybody wants their child to be successful. And we've got we've been pushed through there's been many models of success pushed on us through television and our cultural groups. So stem from one supported or influenced by education. It's influenced by the economics, which is going to dictate how we develop our household supports. You know, what kind of chores do we create? Are there chores in the household for our children and for ourselves? What are the shared spaces in the household versus the living room versus the family room versus the den? How do we see spaces, bedrooms, dining room, kitchen, sitting down for dinner, all of those things, all those household supports? How do we see those things as being individuals, mother, father, parents, children? What are the routines that we've grown up with as individuals from our own families that we then bring to our new family? How do we express those routines? How do we share them with each other? How do we not impose on each other so that those routines can be blended very easily into the household? This definitely speaks to parental styles, right? And so once we start to figure out, you know, our family goals, we have to say, okay, you know, if, in order for me to, to, to answer that question or to even be able to define that and begin to design that, that process for how my family is going to live, I have to understand a parental style. In VeryWellMind.com, Why Parenting Styles Matter When Raising Children, written by Kendra Cherry, reviewed by Dr. Stephen Gann on October 17, 2019, they express four types of parents. There's the permissive parent, authoritarian parent, authoritative parent, and an uninvolved parent. The permissive parent is a parent who tends to be lenient, non-directive, and has few behavioral expectations for their children. The authoritarian parent is status-oriented and believes in full obedience. Something that's connected to this kind of parent is spare the rod, spoil the child, obey without questioning, without any reasoning being offered. The authoritative parent is assertive but not intrusive. The discipline is supportive and not punitive. Ultimately, uh, they suggest that this kind of parent promotes independent self-control and self-regulation for children. The uninvolved parent tends to address the basic needs of their children, but lack the ability to communicate with their children, and are detached from details, events, uh, birthdays, award ceremonies, often not involved. This is the kind of parent that may work a lot and uh, believes in providing, but not being active in the process. Now, when we look at parenting styles and we determine what we are, what kind of parent we are, whether we're permissive, whether we're uninvolved, whether we're one of the A's. We have to also consider when we're coming into a blended family, there are two parts here. There's the family coming, there's the, the, the mother coming in with her values from her cultural traditions and routines that have been developed for some time with her children. And then there's the father, his cultural traditions and routines he's developed with his children. And they've lived in separate households. 
and fostered this and nurtured this. And now they're coming together to try to find a middle ground of where they can share these values as one. Although their identities are built in, their routines, values, traditions. And so now we're coming into an unknown zone of where we have to blend those routines and traditions into one household. And so I find this to be the most complicated area of a blended family is parental styles. It's like the clash of the titans because you have these unique styles. See, it works when you're dating and, and you're supportive and everybody is putting their best foot forward and your best impression and, and, and you, you know, you're speaking to the surface areas of your values and we all have the mask. And then when you go into living together and raising children and then the stuff that comes out of your heart and it comes out of your beliefs and comes out of your baggage begin to dictate how you, the, the kind of parenting personality you fall into. But you could imagine a permissive parent with an authoritarian parent, right? So that's a conflict there. That's a direct conflict that now, see, it worked when we was just one-on-one, and now it's not working. It, or it's a possibility that it cannot work because now we have two people who are extremes of parenting styles together in the same household with children who are already finding that they have to also take risk and engage a different style of parenting in a household that creates different kinds of conflicts to reaching success as a blended family. How do we create inclusivity where everyone can get in and there's a place for everyone in developing and extending the household and building the household and creating the elements of family? How do we acknowledge the different parental to parental styles of or the parenting styles of each other. And then how do we differentiate so that we get a little bit of both? How do we get past this is how we always done it and get to a place of how do we do it now? How do we relinquish control, share control, although I've done it this way for many years in my own household or with my former significant other. Now it's different. The social contract is different. How do we do this and consider the outside parents' traditions and their expectations for how they want to raise? In terms of learnings, from the Pew Research Center and FamilyLoveToKnow.com contributor Michelle Maline, she gives us some very um, <clears throat> informative statistics about the success of uh, blended families. So first she says 16% of children live in blended families. Children of Hispanic, black, and white backgrounds are equally likely to live in this type of family. Children from Asian families are half as likely as black, Hispanic, or white kids to be part of a blended family. Six out of ten women remarriages create blended families. Sixty to seven percent of marriages involving children from a previous marriage fail versus 30 or 35 percent of the first-time marriages. This is just in terms of statistics. Some learnings in terms of how to secure your blended family is really one is to uh, stop measuring. Stop measuring yourself against nuclear families. There's no single formula. If you want to read more about this, it's at parenting.blogs.newyorktimes.com forward slash 2016 forward slash 02 forward slash 14 forward slash a dash blended dash family dash survival dash guide forward slash by Jim. So number two, embrace diversity. In other words, be flexible. There are going to be unique things that come up between 
the biological family and the step family um, in terms of scheduling. And oftentimes this, this does aggravate your life and aggravates um, the, 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 uh, the direction that you were going for maybe that weekend or for that week. But in this case, because it's so difficult for the outside or the external parent to get involved, you have to be flexible in scheduling and allow them to uh, get in where they can to uh, be a part of that family. Because the thing is, if everyone is, if, it's the, if there's more cooperation, then it's more satisfaction with the, with the components of a blended family. The other thing is the personalities, recognizing personalities in the blended families and making sure. So if it's easier for the stepmother to talk to the biological mother, then that's how it should be rather than uh, the, the uh, father speaking with the biological mother if it doesn't work out that way. So whatever works best in terms of communication, that's how you should address it. Uh, rule number three, just say yes. You know, allow for inconsistencies and in commitment. Just say yes. You know, because you're the host parent, you, you, you know, most of, the, most of the, the, the parenting is going to be spent inside of your home. The external parent, they don't have a lot of time. And so we have, you, have to, you have to provide some opportunities as, or as many opportunities as you can to allow them to get in and have opportunities to, if they have an event that comes up and they want to be with, with their son or daughter, you should allow that to happen by saying yes. Rule number four, get a dog. And this is funny because not that get a dog meaning, you know, um, you know, the loyalty and, and the dog is always happy to see, you know, get a dog in terms of find a way that there's a common theme in the household, a common theme of care for this animal. Um, everybody's on board. And it also helps you negotiate the nuances and personalities and the differences between your children, uh, the nuances in the household between parenting style around that animal. And it, so it can help you norm the way you guys want to collaborate and live together. Unlike the um, television, uh, t the television series that I mentioned earlier, the names of different worlds and all those that we spoke about in the beginning, the outside parent is really mentioned in those um, scenarios. But we know, and if you know, many of your friends know that the outside parent is a factor most often in how you negotiate the raising of your child. Now, if you have a situation that the outside parent is cooperative and they're a team player and they're working with you and they're, they, they're using you as the foundational base for the development of their child and they, they act as a supplement, that works. But if you have a situation where you have parental jealousy, that gets in the way. If you have a situation where you have parental sabotage, that gets in the way. If you have a situation where you have mental health issues, that's getting in the way. If you have, an issue, if you have uh, issues of, of employment from the out external parent where they're not employed, that gets in the way because then it's, a, it's also there's a question of is there a financial contribution to this? You know, many people think that, you know, just getting by getting child support, that solves your issue. That's not it. Child support is just a financial uh, um, contribution, but it's really more about the emotional um, and leadership support that you need with your child by that biological parent because they always need that person. So we can never count them out. There are so many tender moments are things that we cannot explain with children in terms of how they see their bi biological parent. No matter what the best, no matter if they have the best conditions in front of them, there's always a need for that other person. And so, how do you get them included with all of the barriers that you can have uh, in a blended family? Okay, we're at the end of our show. I just want to remind you to check me out on Spotify, iTunes, Transistor.fm, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. If you like my show and want to know more, please reach out at pushingboundaries.transistor.fm or email me at p
P-U-S-H-E-N boundaries at gmail.com.